Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are totally and utterly sovereign in all things. We thank you that you work all things for the good of those who love you. Help me now to preach your word faithfully and clearly. And we pray that through your word you would assure us of your sovereign care in whatever trouble we face. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Lord, why me? Why now? Why this? A dear friend of mine would often ask these questions as they encountered various challenges in life. They're powerful questions, important questions. Uh, suffering is a reality that all Christians must face, and, and it can easily shake our faith to the core. In philosophical terms, those questions are really asking this one. If God is all-powerful, and God is all good, then why does suffering exist? Why did God allow 50 people to die in the recent Taiwan train crash? Why did God allow Christian leaders like Ravi Zacharias and Jonathan Fletcher to commit sexual and spiritual abuse for so long? Why has God allowed COVID-19 to cause so much suffering in our world and nearly 3 million deaths? But for most of us, it's not an intellectual question. It's more of a personal one. God, why did you take my loved one? Why this bad di diagnosis? Why this relationship breakdown, this job loss, this conflict, this anxiety, this depression? Why me? Why now? Why this? Are you there? Do you care for me? What are you doing in all this? Well, this morning, as I mentioned, we begin a new series looking at the book of Ruth. And it's a relief, I think, to find that in this book, God acknowledges these difficult questions. And through this book, he assures us of his sovereign care. Now, we're told in chapter 1, verse 1, that the book of Ruth is set in the days when the judges ruled. Those were times of great turmoil for Israel. Times of war, times of murder, plots, famine, uh, times when people cared neither for God nor for others. Times when Israel faced God's judgment invaded by their enemies. Times when God would send a judge, a, a saviour to rescue them, but times when the evil would not stop, when it became greater and more gruesome. In fact, by the end of the book of Judges, we read this in the last verse. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And so it's in that time of great evil and turmoil uh, that we're introduced to the book of Ruth. Uh, and in this book, we, we see how in the midst of all that national turmoil, God is quietly at work in his sovereign care to save his people. Well, the story begins with Naomi leaving the land of blessing in verses 1 to 5. Let's pick up verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem and Judea went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Marlon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah, they went into the country of Moab and remained there. 
And so as we begin the story, we're immediately plunged into tragedy. There's a, there's a famine in the land. That's rather ironic because uh, the, the name Bethlehem, it means house of bread. But there's no bread in the house of bread. The law actually uh, said that famine would be one of God's judgments that he would send on sin. So obviously Israel is in sin again. This is God's judgment on them. They need to repent. But instead, we're told Elimelech and his family, they leave the promised land to go to Moab. Now, Elimelech means, my God is king. But evidently, he abandons his king and he leaves the promised land to go to Moab. As he does, tragedy strikes again. Verse 3, But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Marlon and Kilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Notice Naomi is left empty and alone. She loses her husband, she loses her two children, and in fact in verse 5 she's just called the woman. She's left a poor widow in a foreign land, no husband, no children, no welfare payments or insurance policies to protect her. She's completely empty and alone. Well, in verse 6, Naomi decides to return home. Verse 6, then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law. And they went on their way to return to the land of, of Judah. Now, has God abandoned his people? Has God forgotten all about Naomi? No, not at all. We're told that God visits his people. Okay? Uh, that's what he does in Egypt. He visits them and he redeems them out of Egypt. God visits his people. He gives them food. It's a, it's a faint little hope that God is going to reverse Naomi's situation too. But notice Naomi has no such hope as that. Verse 8, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Naomi understands that with her there's likely to be nothing but poverty and uncertainty. They stay with her, they will probably never remarry, and therefore they are destined to a life of suffering. And so she prays for God's kindness on them, and then sends them home. But both refuse. They weep. And Naomi pleads with them a second time, verse 11. Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters, why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb, that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord's hand has turned against me. Now we start to see how Naomi feels about her situation. She's feeling bitter. 
She's bitter that God has taken away her husband, that God has taken away her children. The Lord's hand has turned against her. And now she is bitter, she is empty, she's alone. Bitter, she'll live a life of poverty. Bitter, she'll live a life of misery the rest of her life. I wonder, have you ever felt like that before? Maybe you've lost a loved one that was very close to you. Maybe God didn't give you the marriage partner that you always wanted. Maybe life isn't going how you planned it right now. Have you ever felt bitter with God, angry with him, abandoned? Now, I've certainly felt that way before. But Ruth chapter 1 teaches us that we have a choice how we will respond to the dark times in our life. Uh, of course, we can respond like Naomi with hopeless bitterness. But we're also shown another way to respond, and that is the way of Ruth. And she responds to God with humble trust in the kindness of God. Verse 14, they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. So Orpah's off, She's, she goes back home. But Ruth clings to Naomi, and that is the very same word that we find in Genesis 2, talking about the marriage relationship. A man shall leave his father and mother and, be, uh, and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. That word, hold fast, it means cling to, like a husband to his wife. Ruth clings to Naomi and won't let go. Even when Orpah turns back and Naomi begs her to follow, Ruth will not. Uh, Ruth says in verse 16, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God. My God, where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death, parts me from you. So Ruth commits herself, heart and soul, to Naomi and her God. She may never get married, but it's as if she's making that pledge to Naomi. Even if she must leave her country and leave her parents and leave her culture and leave her gods, everything she will leave behind for Naomi. She would accept this life of poverty, this life without marriage, in this great act of sacrificial love. Ruth commits to stay with Naomi until the day she dies. It's beautiful, isn't it? But what is most remarkable here is her statement in verse 16. Look again at verse 16. Your people will be my people. Your God. My God. Think about it. The very same God that Naomi is bitter with. The very same God that Naomi blames for taking away her husband and two children. The very same God that took away Ruth's husband. That is the very same God that Ruth puts her trust in. It is Ruth, the foreigner, who has a, a better understanding of God's goodness and grace than Naomi the Israelite. And, and so we're given these two very different responses to the same suffering can be 
bitter and hopeless like Naomi, or full of love and trust like Ruth. As we face our own suffering, we're challenged. How will we respond? Bitterness, trust. It's well known, of course, that holding on to bitterness and anger can be very destructive. It can send someone into darkness and depression. It can fill them with thoughts of anger and revenge. It can destroy relationships permanently. The book of Ruth wants us to see that there's another way. And the book of Ruth wants us to see the outcome of loving trust in the midst of suffering. As Ruth leaves the gods of Moab and, and binds herself to the one true God, as she trusts in him and his kindness to her, well, we will see her experience of the unfailing love of God. What Naomi prayed in verse 8, May the Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. That, that word kindness is so important in the book of Ruth. and it, it, it speaks of God's unfailing his love, both his goodness and his loyalty, his faithfulness to his promises. God is the God of unfailing love who never fails his people, who always loves his people in every situation. Now, you may be listening today as someone who has not yet believed in the Lord Jesus. I'm so glad that you've tuned in. Here is God's promise to you this morning. If, like Ruth, you will leave your old life, leave your old gods, and come to the true God, come to Jesus Christ as your Savior and King, you too can experience the unfailing love of God. It may take courage. It may take sacrifice. It, it may involve suffering like it did for Ruth. But here is the promise of God. If you let God be your God, you will experience his unfailing love and kindness. And so how are we to respond to suffering. Now come to our third point, rightly understanding the rule of God. Rightly understanding the rule of God. Now as Naomi returns home, her bitterness is clear for all to see. Look at verse 19. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Now Naomi's name, her name means pleasant. But it is plain for all to see that life is not pleasant for Naomi. Life is bitter. Verse 20, Naomi says, Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So if Naomi means pleasant, Mara means bitterness. And Naomi cries out to God, don't call me pleasant, call me bitter. Look what God has done to me. I left with a loving family. I had a wonderful husband. I had two wonderful children. And look how God has brought me back. He's brought me back with nothing. Empty, hopeless, bitter. 
why call me Naomi? Many people respond to suffering in that way, of course. Angry with God. Blaming God. Depressed about life. Naomi is at least right about one thing here, and that is that God is in control of everything in life, the good and the bad. Nothing in our world happens by chance, whether a train crash or a global pandemic or even immorality in the church. God is the sovereign God who rules over all things, who gives life, who takes life away. Whatever has happened to Naomi is certainly in the sovereign hands of God. And yet, as bitter as life circumstances may be, we must never allow ourselves to doubt the goodness and the love of God like Naomi does, to conclude that suffering like this means that he's not there, he doesn't care, he's not good, he's not good to me. The existence of suffering should not undermine belief in a sovereign good God. Remember earlier we said that argument, you know, if God is sovereign, all-powerful, all if God is all-good, then why does suffering exist? Well, that's a flawed argument. Because the Bible says that God is so sovereign, and he is so good, that he can even work in the most desperate of situations, the most bitter of circumstances, to achieve his good and perfect will. The, the powerful good God can work through evil to bring about good. Now we see just a glimpse of that as we end this rather dark chapter. Look at the final verse, verse 22. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. See, despite how she feels, Naomi is not really empty, is she? She returns at harvest time. That's a sign of better things to come. And she returns with Ruth, who we will see later on is the greatest blessing of all. Indeed, by the time we get to the end of the book of Ruth, there will be a dramatic reversal as God works a great salvation in Naomi's family, and indeed through her family, to save the world. A salvation bigger than she could have ever imagined or believed. The book of Ruth wants us to see that God is still good, even when we suffer. Now we can be sh even surer of that. Uh, because we can look back to the cross. It's just last week that we celebrated Good Friday. I mean, it's a, it is a strange name, isn't it? The day that Jesus was betrayed, abandoned, falsely arrested, as he was tortured, unjustly, con unjustly condemned, and then cruelly crucified at the hands of wicked people. Yet we call it Good Friday. It is rather strange, isn't it? But it's not strange, because despite all the appearances and despite all the, the suffering and evil that Jesus experienced, God didn't lose control, and nor did God stop loving Jesus or his disciples. 
In fact, Peter preaches in Acts chapter 2, verse 23, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. See, there was great evil. He was crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men, but at the cross, still we see God sovereignly at work. This was his definite plan that he devised beforehand. God was at work sovereignly in this greatest evil ever seen. And he was bringing about the greatest good ever seen. He was saving the world. And he was exalting his son as the saviour of all. So the cross is the ultimate example of God's loving rule. That he can work good in and through even the most desperately evil act. And of course elsewhere the Bible assures us that God, God's uh, sovereign work for good uh, is not just for Jesus at the cross, but it, he does the same in our lives as well. We read in Romans chapter 8 verse 28, famous verse, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, that's not the first verse that you're going to read with someone who's going through a terrible time of suffering. The first step when you, when you encounter suffering is always to listen, to weep, to cry, to pray with the person. But the verse is still true, isn't it? The verse doesn't mean that our circumstances aren't bitter. The verse doesn't mean that we won't experience tremendous grief and sadness. But the verse is true. And it does provide immense comfort as it reminds us God will never stop loving us. He will never stop seeking our good, no matter what may happen to us. Indeed, it's just a few verses later that Paul will write this in Romans 8. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. God is the God who works in evil for good. And God is the God who can bring blessing and life through the suffering and crucifixion of an innocent man. God is the God who can use any circumstance and every circumstance to make us more like Jesus, to advance his kingdom. Uh, John Piper puts it very well in his lovely poem. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. So when the dark times come, when the bitter times come, how will we respond? Will we respond in emptiness and hopelessness like Naomi? Only see the clouds, the frowning face? Or will we trust him for his grace? See the smiling face, the good God is bringing through it. Peter writes in 1 Peter 4 verse 19, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. You see the response? Trust God. Do good. 
I remember the day that my mother was diagnosed with terminal cancer. She suffered greatly over the next six months, and six months later, I think it was on Mother's Day, she died. Her Mother's Day presents were unopened next to the bed. Of course, it was a time of deep grief for our family, where many of us were asking why. But amidst the tears, God did make his good purpose known for us. God used my mum's cancer to bring my parents eternal life in Christ. I think it was about a week before she died that my mum said to me, for 57 years I've pushed Jesus to the side in my life. I won't do it any longer. He's my only hope. And in the pain, she trusted God. And she was saved. And at the funeral, my extended family heard the gospel, many non-believers as well, heard the good news of Jesus. Later, I remember, when I was diagnosed with celiac, asking the Lord, why? Why can't I eat all this delicious Malaysian food anymore? It has to be gluten-free from now on. And yet, as I look back, I can see how God has used that to teach me contentment in the small things of life. Deepen my love for my wife who toils so sacrificially to look after me and give me food to eat. I remember facing deep disappointments and setbacks in ministry. And yet I can look back and see how God uses pain like that to put me in a place where his gospel can be made known to others. So despite all of those things, though, these are still truths that I need to learn. Of course, there are still times, many times, I struggle to love God and trust God in the face of suffering. I'm still learning. I'm a work in progress. But as I look back to his faithfulness in my life, as I look back supremely to the cross, God is slowly teaching me. He works all things for the good of those who love him. And so when the hard times come, we don't have to be bitter. We don't have to remain in permanent sadness. We don't have to be angry with God for a bad deal in life. Because God is the sovereign Lord who works in all things to achieve his good purposes for me and for the world. We can and we should entrust ourselves to him. So as we finish this morning, what about you? Will you trust God's loving rule in the midst of your suffering? Now, I don't know what you're going through particularly right now. Are you suffering abuse, depression, miscarriage, disability, cancer, divorce, Betrayal, bereavement, maybe it's not happening right now, but you are still feeling the effects. I may never truly understand what you are going through. But I can assure you this morning that God does. And God will never abandon you. And God will not stop working for good in your life. 
Because that's why he sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross. That's why Jesus came to bear our sins and our pain. He came to die, to deal with sin and death once and for all, so that we may enter his eternal kingdom, where suffering, crying, pain and death will one day be no more. See, God is the God of unfailing love, who works good, even in evil. And so will you trust him? When suffering comes and you cry out to the Lord, why me? Why now? Why this? Will you trust him? May God indeed deliver us from bitterness and instead remind us in the cross of his sovereign love. And may he help us to see that this, yes, even this suffering is not meaningless. It can be used by him for good. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you are the God of unfailing love. We thank you for the kindness that you have poured out upon us at the cross where Jesus died for our sins, where you gave us a place in your eternal kingdom. Lord, thank you for that hope you've given us that one day our suffering will be over and that we will be with you in glory. And Lord, we thank you for the assurance that no matter what suffering we face in this life, it won't be meaningless, that you will use it to achieve your good purposes for us and the world. And so, Lord, help us not to be bitter or angry with you. Help us to trust you. Help us to know your love in and through our sufferings. Be with us, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.